The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. Welcome to episode 29 of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. My name is Chris Falco, Director of Game Day Operations and Community Relations with the Wheat Kings. Also on-air announcer with 94.7 Star FM and Q Country, today's best country, also home of the Weekly Harvest. You can check out all previous 28 episodes and this one online at qcountryfm.ca. Remember to stream Q Country 91.5, also on Alexa or Google Play, or always on the Radio Player Canada app. Uh, joined as always by my co-host Brandon Crow who's fresh off his vacation back from Ontario, literally driving uh, all the way from Toronto. Crow, we're going to get right into it because we got ourselves an awesome guest tonight, one that we were uh, talking about just last week with our guest Wade Redden, uh, a teammate of his. I know uh, somebody that uh, we grew up watching. Very excited tonight to have Chris Dingman on the podcast. Well, Chris, uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, I see that you're kind of out on your back porch. Uh, you got a bunch of kids running around your house. What have you been up to during this whole uh, this whole COVID process? I've been working. I've been uh, changing diapers and working. So moved back uh, a couple years back to Edmonton from Tampa and uh, helping my brother-in-law uh, with his company sell gloves. And we actually moved warehouses. So that was quite interesting. Uh, I learned how to drive a forklift, so I'm actually pretty good at driving a forklift now. I only dumped one uh, pallet over, but so we're not. It's kind of like it felt like uh, I remember Ace Ventura at the start, where he's kicking the box down the hallway. He's like, "Special delivery coming through," and he's booting it down. I I did that to one pallet, so thank goodness we're dealing with like uh, with gloves that are supposed to protect your hands. So if we're dealing with uh, fragile stuff, uh, you know, that would have been a little more messier. But uh, yeah, so we've just been doing that. Um, kids started skating a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago doing some training so been biking i did a podcast a couple weeks back and <clears throat> there's a couple big hills actually hard to believe in Edmonton, the river valley and i went up the one hill and then i went up another hill and i wasn't going to get off it's super steep and a lot of people get off their bike and i have a lot of pride and i didn't want to lose my kids so i was like i'm not getting off my bike and i didn't and literally my lungs are still burning so i was coughing <laughs> for like three days and like i was doing this pot and i was hacking it was just still burning and <clears throat> i said listen like i'm not I'm not saying it's not COVID. I just like my lungs are burning so bad from <laughs> trying to keep up with my kids. So I still have a little bit. <clears throat> so I clear my throat quite often. People look at me like, and I'm like, oh, no, I got tested. I'm okay. It's just, <laughs> it's the lungs burning. It's not, uh, it's not the other bad thing. It's just really, really, I'm too heavy and uh, I need to lose a couple pounds, but I still work out hard to uh, try to keep up with my kids. So. Okay. So you were a tough guy. I've had a lot of tough buddies take the COVID test and come back and say that it darn near buckled them to their knees. Uh, for those that haven't had it, how, what was the effect on tough guy, Chris Dingman? Were you gripping the chair a little tight? Um, no, not bad. I, uh, I've had about 10 root canals and then like the first few I had were in Brandon. I got cross-checked, uh, in the mouth and then those two teeth got knocked back. They ended up getting, I don't know, I guess they knocked out or loosened even more and <clears throat> got to the point where I was doing root canals. I'd, I'd literally like fall asleep during the root canal and the dentist was kind of like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, whatever. So I don't know. Pain is, um, my friend, my enemy, I guess see all the above. So, uh, I felt worse. Uh, I felt better. So somewhere in between. So, uh, not that bad. Growing up in Russell, a couple hours away, I mean, we didn't get to go to Jets games when we were kids. We got to come in and get to watch weekend games and you got to do a couple a year. And what was it like when you're at that age? Because you would have a lot of a lot of those young fans like idolizing you. And I mean, now as we get older and we're looking we're like, oh, they're 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 just kids. But when I was 12 and, you know, you were 16, it was like you were like like a god out there. What was that like, honestly, like playing in a small town and having that kind of a following? Um well, I didn't know I was a god, so <clears throat> thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great, you're pumping his tires, Falco. All right, yeah, you should be my agent, man. <laughs> uh, I got to move back there. You should move back. Um, I, it's it was great. I mean, my experience there was great. Uh, I mean, just so many stories about. You know, everyone thinks playing hockey is easy, and it's you know piece of cake and this and that. And it, there's just so many things like riding a bus. You know, uh, 27 hours back from the West Coast trip or you know, whatever and fighting is, was part of my game and people appreciated it. And I just knew people enjoyed it. And 
Uh, my billets, uh, you know, Kelly and Donna Ham, and uh, they had small kids when I moved in. Their kids were three and five, and I had an older sister. And I wasn't used to having small kids around. So as as hockey guys, we uh, well girls too. You have your pregame nap, and I tell you, like I, I owe a lot of my fights to uh, to the kids, to the Ham kids, because uh, they were little rambunctious. So I'd lay down for my nap, and man, I just hear these feet, and it was just like, and I'm like be quiet and I'm screaming upstairs and then I get up and I'd just be like just surly and as soon as I left the door as I was walking out uh, my adults were like he's going to kill somebody tonight. so I was already on edge I got woken up but you wake somebody up from their pregame nap you're fired up so uh, I, I owe a lot of that to them because uh, I had an edge for sure I was leaving and I was mad and as soon as somebody hit me the wrong way I just wanted to pound somebody because I was a little crusty from getting uh, woken up so but it was good I mean it was uh I mean, I went back, uh, been back a couple times, and you know, people. Well, I got a standing ovation when I dropped the puck uh, for the Memorial Cup. There, I was, I almost started crying because, you know, you think you know you have a connection with fans, and it's been a long time. I'm obviously, I'm quite older now, as you can see by all the the salt that's taken over from the pepper and the beard there. But um, <laughs> it was great. I mean, I enjoyed my time there. It was so many good stories, so many good friends. Uh, so it was awesome. Uh, but thank you. I didn't realize. Uh, <laughs> The word God, I'll take it though. Uh, I wish I got paid like a God in the NHL, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. No, it was great. It was, uh, What's, the fans are awesome. What was your first memory of coming to the city? Um, <clears throat> I think meeting my billets. Uh, you know, you go in and you go meet them and my dad drove me and it's kind of like, hey, here's this family and you're going to live with them. And <clears throat> it's super scary and talking to, you know, your billets after and they were like freaked out too because they had this six foot three 220 something pound mutant like moving in their house and it's like oh god what are we talking tell this guy so uh, i remember that and then i just remember uh meeting bobby lowe's and i had um some drummer music kind of guy and so i had three earrings down on the bottom i had one up top because i thought it was pretty cool and i walked in and uh bobby took one look at me and it was i can't say exactly what he said but it was uh you don't think you're keeping those effing things, do you? And I was like, ah, I don't know. So he's like, not if you're going to stay here. And I was like, okay, guess we're coming out. So those are two uh, memories. Meeting Bobby was, you know, Kelly Crimmins, obviously a legend. And, but just, yeah, Bobby set the tone right away. It was, uh, yeah, you're not keeping those things. Uh, okay, this is how it's going to work. And it was great. Uh, he was a fiery guy. So, yeah, that was the first, like, okay, this is just like, I had a coaching midget. <clears throat> Uh, Murray Banks, he was fiery too. So I've had a few guys and, you know, he'd throw the garbage can and yell and scream. And, you know, so I was a little prepared for coaches that were fiery. And I, yeah, I love Bobby as a coach, but that was, yeah, I just remember that. You're not keeping those things, whatever. And I was like, okay, just taking these out. So yeah, a little humility right away. Where, where would coach Bobby Lowe's rate on your list of fiery coaches that you've had? Cause you played for a couple in the NHL too. Oh man, <clears throat> I got three tied for number one. Uh, him, John Tortorella, and uh, Brian Sutter. So, yeah. just different. They're all uh, passionate guys. Let's just say that. So I, uh, they're great. Like I, the be the thing I like to. <clears throat> so people always ask me about coaches, and you know what I appreciate about Bobby is that uh, you're a young guy, and you know everybody's insecure. You know when you play hockey, and even in the NHL, guys are <clears throat> you're unsure of yourself, and you know, and especially when you're a teenager playing junior and. You know, Bobby would yell at everybody, and John Tortorella would yell at everybody. Brian Setter would yell at everybody. So coaches like that, <clears throat> I appreciate that. So those three guys were definitely pretty intense. Like Bobby was definitely uh, – Losey was uh, – he was up there for sure because he uh, – man, we got in uh, – I mean, he, we got in with the timekeeper one time in, uh, in Moose Job when we scored, and it was like two – it was like literally three seconds ago, and we score and the light goes on, and then the guy – or sorry, the – so we score, and then the timekeeper waited like till the buzzer went, and then he threw the light on, and it was clear it was a goal to tie the game. And God, Bobby's losing his mind. He goes over, and I got him in a headlock, and he wiggles. And I'm on skates, and Bobby's like, you know, he walks around about five ten, losing. And I got him in a headlock, and he wiggles his head around. And he turns, I'm like sixteen or seventeen. He turns around, and looks at me, he goes, "Dinger, if you don't like over right now, I'm gonna sucker you." And I was like, "Okay." So he went over to the timekeeper, you know. <laughs> way we went that was one of the many brawls we had so <laughs> he's like here whatever so yeah we had a few so those are three guys for sure that uh were definitely fiery let's say passion so 1991 you were drafted to the bantam draft that was also the year i was born uh <laughs> so to put that into perspective uh, now in my fifth year as a radio guy but uh, you were drafted by seattle now i imagine being an edmonton guy at that time uh, the Oil Kings had left. The ice may not have been back or, or may have been just kind of on the outskirts. But 
you know, all of a sudden you go from, you think a first round pick, you're heading to Seattle, the big city to ending up in Brandon. So what, what was that transition? I, I know that, you know, Perry Bergson, we talked to him from the Brandon Sun. He had a quote from you saying that you were almost ready to quit when you got traded to Brandon. What was, what was your thought process there? It's not like today where I didn't really know I was getting scouted or people were watching me. Like, yeah, I was just playing hockey and they get drafted. And I remember Seattle had the Memorial Cup. They were the hosts. And so they flew myself and my parents out. And, you know, I'm a music guy. I'm a dry guy. I like country music, but I'm more of a metal. Like, like heavy metal is my my go to. And so any alternative music. So Seattle, home of grunge and stuff. And uh, I just remember I went out for the Memorial Cup and I got a pair of gloves and some wood sticks. I think I got like six wood sticks which was huge like because it felt cool because you know like sticks are expensive and <clears throat> whatever so i remember I went to the moral cup and then so we came back literally two days later i get a phone call from kelly mccrimmon and it's you know hey chris this is kelly mccrimmon kelly mccrimmon from the brandon wheat kings we just acquired your rights and i'm like what does that mean <laughs> like i had no idea so um it was it was uh shocking let's just say so you know we're like okay what does this mean and so we would literally pull out like the Atlas and look and like Brandon, Manitoba, like 42,000 people. I was like, Oh my God, what are we doing? Like you're going from Seattle, like a million plus or whatever and big city. And <clears throat> you know, like, and the, the worst thing at the time is you think the team doesn't want you. Like, uh, you know, I thought I was no good and Seattle didn't want me. And then you realize after the fact it's, you know, Brandon wanted me. And uh, I actually ran into uh, the old GM for the Seattle Thunderbirds in a game in Tampa. Uh, a few years back and he introduced himself and said, you know what? I'm still pissed at Kelly. Like you, you were supposed to be available. So like he pulled one over on us. So, <laughs> you know, that was, uh, I mean, it turned out great. Like you uh, obviously had four great years with Brandon, but uh, you know, at the time you think they don't want you and you know, whatever. And so, you know, I was like, I remember so my parents were like, just go try it. <clears throat> you know, go uh, just go. And then if you don't like it, you can come home. And obviously I went and I, I really enjoyed myself and, but you just, you know, you you don't think somebody else wants you. You think that team didn't want you. So uh, you learn these things later. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely uh, a bit of a surprise, but uh worked out great. We talked about Wade Redden's, uh, you know, success that he had. And, of course, a former teammate of yours, he talked about how uh, he never really had to be that big, tough defenseman because it didn't matter if someone messed with him. There was a big 22 coming flying into the pile. And he was, oh, he felt safe out there. At, at what point did you realize that, when you were out there, your, your teammates had a little more room and maybe a little more confidence. Was that the way you had always played going back to when you were a kid? Were you always the, the bigger kid of the group? Yeah, I was, um, let's just say, really large for my age <laughs> in my whole life. Um, I guess like in Pee Wee, it was like Pee Wee or Bantam where I hit a kid and the dad came out on the ice and he's like screaming at me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like 12 or something. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? So I'm holding my stick. Like, if I got to chop this guy, well, but I'm scared, you know. Like, scared, you know what? And uh, my dad jumped out of the stands and came and, like, literally jumped out of the, and then grabbed him by the throat. He's like, yeah, we're going to go near my son again. I will, you know what? I'm like, oh, crap. And then we get in the car and he's like, yeah, do you want to go for uh, a Slurpee and a bag of chips? So I was like, sure. And he's like, I got to word your mom. I was like, okay. But anyway, <laughs> so once body contact started, and then I was playing midget AAA as a, as a 15 year old. and I got in my first fight uh, playing playing there, and I was like, I did good. So then um, your first year, like, my parents were adamant that, uh, you know, I like the word goon. Like, it's just a whatever, but they, they wanted me to be a player, and Kelly, you know, wanted said, you know, you don't want, we don't want him here just to fight. And, but it was part of my game. So I guess long uh, long answer was it, uh, so you get in your first fight and you do good, and then you get in your next fight and you do good. And, I guess maybe it was like my third year where <clears throat> I was playing with uh, with uh, Marty and uh, Marty Murray and Darren Ritchie, and I literally, except for like you know being back, who's uh, you know God rest his soul, super tough guy, and every time we win the stats, get to win, I always fight him or Metallica or the combination or whatever. But uh, it was like my third year where it's like basically if anybody touched him, I just pounded somebody, and I just literally just beat people up, and it's like it's bad, like you know what I mean, looking back, but. I remember, like, I remember we got a brawl in Regina. We were, they were talking about, and uh, like, we went on the ice, and we weren't allowed to go until someone else because it was like back then the first guy on the off the off the bench got suspended. I remember grabbing. Uh, I went to Marty's guy and I grabbed him, and I was going to pound him. Marty's like, I got this, so I hold his guy, and he's like, "Yeah, you're not so tough now." Huh? And then so he like, 
smacks around and then I go and grab Rich's guy and he's like, you know, I got this. So I'm holding Rich's guy and he's like, yeah, what do you think about that? You know, and I, I saw some of the video and uh, I don't know, I was still find like seven or eight guys or something and went a little crazy. We went in the stands and Bobby. So after all that, uh, like I got one game and Bobby got one game. And so I guess uh, kind of combination of those things, but a good story about that I never had heard before. But like, so my dad was in the stands and he got a fight, Marty's dad. But uh, Rick Dillabo is like, well, he's a great, great guy. I was coming through town last uh, spring with my youngest to go to that Western uh, Canadian Invitational or something in Winnipeg. And uh, so Rich was like, you know, telling my son, he's like, you know, your dad was a little crazy. Like he was, you know, he used to fight a lot. And my kids have seen my fights and stuff and whatever. And they know, and it's not a big deal, whatever. And they're already better skaters and better stick handlers. They could toe drag. I could never toe drag. But Dilly was telling the story. He's like, yeah, you know, it's funny about because we were talking about Brawl in Regina. He goes, you know, Dilly goes, you know, what's funny. He goes, they get, literally, he's like, grown men are sprinting up the aisle, and he's like, where? I couldn't figure out where they're going. Then they come back down, double fisted with two sodas or pops, whatever country you live in. He's like, literally, grown men were sprinting up the aisle so they could run back down and throw them at you. And he's like, I thought it was just the craziest thing. Number one, he goes, number two, they didn't close the concessions. It was at the end of the game. We're like, you know, we're 15 minutes past the end of the game in the brawl, so <laughs> uh, I guess it was maybe like probably my third year where I think my fourth year was just I played with. Uh, Primarily, I played with Kelly Smart and Peter Schaefer, and that Schaefer would just run his mouth. Like, we'd play Swift Car, and it was just like, what are you going to do? Hmm? What are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. And I was standing right there. So, you know, I was like, I, I liked uh, sticking up for people that were smaller, I guess. Uh, hey, Reds, has got to give himself credit. Reds is a tough kid, too. Like, he, uh, you know, the Western League and Junior, your skill guys, like, they always got into one or two, like Marty, Darren, like all those guys, all the skill guys. They always got into one or two fights a year, so... Uh, Reggie was a tough, he was a tough customer too. He got in some good scraps. So, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I guess maybe just second, third year where, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And, uh, there was an, I think I won, uh, I got voted most intimidating or something fighter with the one year. So I was kind of proud of that. So yeah, I guess maybe that's, uh, it's kind of a long answer, but maybe second, third year. I don't know, first year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, and, and, and in that, I mean, you sure talked about like a lot of skilled guys that you played with as well. I mean, and that was part of your role, right? Like you're playing with them, you're helping give them some room while, while playing your style. But of all those guys, who do you think was the most skilled at that age? Oh, a junior. <clears throat> That's a tough one. <clears throat> uh, well, I think Barney Murray was, uh, just a great player. Darren Ritchie could shoot the puck. Um, I mean, Mike Dubinsky was a really talented player. Uh, Peter Schaefer was really crafty with the puck. I mean, so many guys. Mike LeClaire was a good player. Brian McCabe, when he came through. It's really hard to pinpoint, but uh, I just think playing with like Marty, uh, the way Mike has played, I think uh, just a talented guy. And then Schaefer later on in my career, uh, he was just so good with the puck. He was so shifty. So. And obviously, like Wade Redden was a, a great defenseman. So it's really tired, really tough to to say. But I'd say the top two would probably be Marty Murray and uh, Peter Schaefer. Obviously, you, you touched on your kids. Now, both of your older boys, uh, they they're pretty good hockey players. You posted some good videos, and you coached a little bit as well. And uh, you know, I talked with Aaron Rome when he first got on board with the Weekends as assistant coach after he retired, and. Romer said it was always weird when his, his son's friends would come over and they wanted to just ask him questions about playing in the NHL and wanted to said you know, I watched this YouTube video of your dad last night. He said it kind of got weird. Was there ever any funny moments where your kids' friends wanted to just sit around the table with you and not play with your kids? Yeah, no, we, um, so we grew up, my kids would grow up in Tampa and we, you know, I coached them in, um, you know, multiple years. Well, basically last year was the first year I didn't coach my oldest and then this year I'm going to retire for a year and uh, just be a parent. So, but it was every, I mean, every year there wasn't ever, uh, we had kids sleep over all the time because Florida, Tampa, the kids were spread out. Like it wasn't like you played in your little quadrants or your little section of the city. Uh, we had kids from like, uh, I think close to our team was like 20 minutes away. So we had kids sleep over all the time. We'd take them to the games and stuff. And uh, uh, there was, there wasn't ever like they didn't want to play. I always played with them. Like that's a, like I like having kids sleep over because we play street hockey, we we play <laughs> basketball, whatever, and so it was great. There was never anything like that, but it was always like, so what was it like fighting so and so, or what was it, whatever. Everyone always <laughs> asked me about fighting Char. So you fought Char, how'd that go? I'm like, not very good because 
I wanted to get inside on him, and I was like, I had it planned. It was on an icing, and I went really close. I'm like, okay, we're going. And the refs are like, no, 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 you're not, you're not fighting. And then Char drops his gloves and went like this. And when Char does that, you're pretty much uh, you're screwed. So, yeah, that, I was like, they're like, I was fighting him. I'm like, not very good. Like I'm standing there, I take about four or five. And, but I'm like, I didn't break my nose or anything. So it was. Uh, but Redzi did. Redzi tell you he was the one that broke my nose. That's why it's so crooked. He probably left that part out, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. What was that story? <clears throat> Uh, it was my last regular season game, uh, my last year, my fourth year. <clears throat> we were playing. If we we won, I think we would finish first overall. So Reggie takes a slap shot, just shoot King hits me right in the nose, and uh, wasn't his fault though. Got tipped, so but he, he shot it. And he shot it hard enough to break my nose. I was standing in front. And I think the goal is Roddy Branch. It's like Dinger taking knee. I'm like, why? He's like Dinger taking knee. I'm like, why? I looked down and my nose is just leaking. Like okay, so I go in and they the doctor was like, "Okay, your nose is broken." I'm like, "Okay, thank you." Like you got to snap it back into place. I'm like, "Okay, are you gonna do?" You know, she was like doing this, like you know, and I'm like I'm like just snap it, you know, like. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, she's like, ah, and I'm like, just snap it. So she goes, "Okay," and she's like, so she goes, snaps it back and looks at me, and I'm like, "Okay," and then I had two stitches, and then you come back out with two pieces of cotton, and so I end up scoring, and we finished first, and uh, I think it was finished first overall, so we had home ice. Uh, but uh, the best, like one of the best things I, I heard was when I came back on the bench and this meant a lot to me being a captain and a leader and <clears throat> trying to set examples that uh, one of the guys said, I told you he was coming back. So I was, uh, that was a proud moment for me, but uh, Reggie can shoot the puck. So he kept it low. Someone else tipped it. So <laughs> yeah, that was my last game. So we made our team picture. So if you know, I don't know if you noticed uh, the one year I kind of had a handle, I shaved down to the handlebar mustache, which I'm, I don't look very good in a mustache. Uh, and I had a little shiner. So I had a shiner from the uh, broken nose. So I was way red and slap shot. That's why it's so crooked. That kind of ties into my next question. Cause I, I asked current weekend head coach, Dave Lowry, what his worst injury was when he played. And he said, back in Florida, there was a D man. <laughs> he, he always shot high. And Dave had said to him one time, you got to keep it down. Well, about two days later, he rifled one <laughs> and it hit Dave square in the face, cracked his whole orbital bone and everything. Uh, two days later, that guy got traded. But <laughs> that, that reminded me of, you know, Dave and, and the, the weaking connections to the NHL. Now, obviously, you and Dave went head to head throughout your career. Arguably, the, the biggest peak of that head to head matchup would have been in that Stanley Cup run in 2004. Chris wants to talk about 2001, but. For me, 2004 was was a great year as a Canadian hockey fan, cheering for Calgary. We're all cheering against you guys in Tampa. But, um, you know, for, for you, what do you remember about playing against current Wheat King coach Dave Lowry? <laughs> he had the best beard. I had a, like, my beard's a little grayer now, but I had a kind of pretty good red beard, and his was just massive. So there's him and uh, Commodore had a pretty good one too, but his was just huge. And he was, uh, he was like... Um, just a veteran guy, I guess, is the best way to put it. So, you know, the NHL had those guys like him and Brian Scrutland and those veteran guys that were just good defensively, could kill penalties, were good at the young guys. So, and he was hard to play against. So, you know, when you win, <clears throat> obviously I wanted to win and, you know, didn't want to lose. And there were so many good guys on the other side there. Uh, like Jerome McGinley was a guy that I have the utmost respect for. And, you know, I felt bad shaking his hand because – <clears throat> you know, he almost single-handedly willed that team and Kippersoff obviously was a great goalie, but uh, Stefan Yell was another guy I played with who was a good veteran guy. Um, but as far as uh, Lowry goes, yeah, he had a really, really good beard. He had a solid, big red beard. He was hard to play against because I think at that time he was probably in mid-30s, I think, maybe getting up there. So, you know, I had respect for those veteran guys. I, I remember one time, like, there was another guy, uh, <clears throat> Brendan Shanahan, and Jeff Rogers, who was a weekend guy, and uh, he wanted to kill Aaron Ward. So he's like, I'm going after him. You make sure and give me some space. So I was like, okay. And I grabbed Brendan Shanahan. I didn't want to fight Brendan Shanahan. He had one of those old CCM helmets with the, you know, the bumpers on the, the yeah. rubber oh, bumpers yeah. on yep. the side. So we dropped the gloves, and I'm like trying to rip his helmet. I didn't really want to fight him. And he's like, if you, if you break my – I've had this helmet for 20 years or 15 years. You break this helmet, I'm going to be pissed. And I'm like, I don't even want to fight you, man. Like, I have respect for you or whatever. So anyways, but uh, – things you have to do to uh, play in the play in the show and stay in the show but uh yeah all great beard just uh 
I wish you could, if you could find a picture, put it up on your website because his his beer. I had a pretty good one, but his trumped mine. We'll have to 100%. do that. We'll also have to remind the listeners that they haven't heard the Dave Lowry podcast. Go back and listen to it because uh, you talked about kind of his age at that time. That was a very fun time in his career because he didn't know he was actually going to be playing even going into the playoffs. He thought he was done and he was doing more of with the with the coaching staff. But anyway, that was uh, that was a great story he was telling as well. Uh, like Crow said, we, we want to talk about both runs. I want to go back to the even before we talk about. One though, Let, let's jump back in time. I want to talk about your WHL run. What do you remember from that WHL championship? Um, I remember winning, and it was like a. Do you remember the bus trip home? And, oh yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, I've heard some stories. Hours, eh? Yes, I think it was like eighteen or twenty hours, and uh, so we had a few beverages. We were allowed and. Uh, our old trainer Spike, he fell asleep, so someone did a little sharpie on him. So he came off the bus. Uh, he had some a uh, little bit of sharpie on his face. He was a little salty about that, but uh, that's why you don't fall asleep on the bus. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, no, it was just great. It was, uh, I mean, that bus was, uh, oh, it just, it was dirty, it was dusty, but it was like, I think the bus was made. Uh, the original one was in '72, the one I played four years on. And you know, when you're a rookie, so like my first year. Uh, Darren Drager was a radio guy. So he was like, I had to sit next to him. Poor Dregs, man. Like he's against the, he's against the wall and I'm against him. And he's like this, like, Oh my God, I got this mutant next to me and you got to sleep. Like, you know, try and sleep anyways. And then when you actually get a bunk and like I have wide shoulders. So the beauty of me is I could turn sideways and my shoulders would lodge in the bunk. So I didn't have to worry about falling out. And there's always the odd guy. I don't know if it was that, you know, coming back from winning that championship, but like just winning was great. But there was a couple guys that literally like you'd hear a, like what the heck you turn to look and like there's a guy in the middle of the aisle and like the hell man the guy like would roll out of the bunk <laughs> some guys rolled out of the top bunk so there's always like one or two a year where the guy like wakes up and like what happened whatever so uh as far as that uh, the game and winning i just uh winning's great I, it's hard you don't i don't really remember much after winning i just remember you know we had some fun on the bus and we had the trophy and you know it was great is uh yeah it just you know, I don't know. I don't really remember uh, too much, to be honest. I know we, I know we watched the movie because uh, Losey's rule was, if you won, you got to watch a movie, and if you lost, you didn't watch a movie. And I remember like a couple of years, the year before, I think it was, we went on a West Coast trip, and you know, if you could go 500 on the West Coast trip, that was a pretty good trip for you. And uh, we'd gone like five and one or something, and we played Portland the last game, and I think I scored the first goal, and we lost like 10-1 or something. We got pounded. And I like, as soon as like four, one, I'm just trying to get kicked out. So I got in a fight, got in another fight, you know, told the ref a few things and whatever, but we had to ride uh, 27 hours. So you, you play the game, no movie, excuse me, no movie. So you go to bed, no movie, right? No problem. And then you wake up, you're like, Hey, maybe watch a movie. Hey, you know, everyone's like, Hey, Lozy, can we watch a movie? No. You know, a couple other words too. And so 27 hours, no movie, no nothing. I had my discman, you know, those, like, I still have it and then in the garage. I'll take a picture and send it to you. Uh, but it was like you back in the CD days when you, you know, finally had that, when you first had that uh, discman that didn't skip, but still kind of the anti-shock, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. First it was three seconds. Then it was five. Then it was seven, but it didn't matter when you're jogging that, that damn thing skipped all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I remember the bus trips, they were long and, You'd stop, uh, you know, at some little tiny restaurant, and man, we had some of the best meals. There was a good veal cutlet uh, we used to have on the road with the squiggly fries with gravy and stuff. So those are the kind of things I remember. I had not, nothing specifically about uh, about winning or anything after the championship. Just uh, just winning. It's great. And then you just do. We had a long bus ride back. Well, wow. you got pretty accustomed to winning over the course of your career. Now, from a longevity standpoint, I mean. Yeah, you didn't play probably as long as you would have liked, but in the years that you did play professionally, you had some great success. And and obviously the, the first kind of real taste of success came in Colorado during that year uh, that uh, they had that fantastic run. Chris and I were talking about the roster beforehand. You know, winning your first Stanley Cup, I mean, that that's something that you probably dreamed about playing street hockey as a kid growing up and, and had thought about, you know, kind of your whole life. What do you, rem- what do you remember about, kind of the, the the moment when you realized, you know what, we're going to win this thing? Um, well, it was really cool because, you know, we traded for Ray Bork uh, the year before, and we lost in seven games to Dallas, and I went, came from Calgary, and 
you know, Calgary, we're just trying to make the playoffs and um, you go to Colorado and it's your goal is to win the Stanley cup. So we, you know, we traded for Ray and, you know, we lost and then he decided to come back and uh, the whole process of it was a, a training camp was uh, we're finishing first overall. So if there's a game seven, it's in our building and anything less is unacceptable. So, I mean, it was great. This the whole thing about it. And I didn't even play, I didn't play till game three of the second round because Dave Reed got hit with a, actually Ray Bork was dumping the puck in and hit Reader and broke his jaw. And he Reader all the credit in the world. He only missed one game, but I got in and played, uh, I played like three minutes and 42 seconds, I think, or something, or three minutes and 52 seconds. But I had four shots and I drew two penalties. So what I did that is I bought myself another game. So I was able to play and continue to play. But uh, just the whole winning of all of it is it, you know, you talk about the players on that team and, and they were about winning. Like just everything was about winning. And it didn't matter if it was Ray or Joe or Rob Blake or Forsberg or say, you know, go like take your pick of the players and they were about winning. And, you know, what I do remember is <clears throat> just there was so much pressure to win one for Ray and everything's win one for Ray, win one for Ray. And I just remember, you know, before game six, we were down 3 2 and everyone was talking about win one for Ray. And so Bob Hardy gave a speech and whatever. Guys were like, all right, sure. And then Ray stands up and was like, listen, we're, you know, I believe in you guys. That's why I came back. And I'm sick of hearing this win one for Ray crap, BS, whatever. He's like, we're going out. We're going to win this game. You're going to win it for yourself because my name's going to be right next year. So we're going to go out. We're going to win this game. And we're going home for game seven. We're going to win that game. I can still get chills, like, talking about it. So, you know, I remember that part of it. And then uh, going into game seven, it was just, like, we won game six pretty handily. And uh, we just had, like, we knew we were going to win, I guess, maybe. Like, we just had that feeling. And, you know, just the leadership, uh, the veteran leadership on that team. And, you know, like, it tells this story, too, that, uh, you know, Ray Bork went in there. And, <clears throat> and we're, we're in the – we played against St. Louis. We're going into double or triple overtime. And our line had scored. And I'm playing with Dave Reed and Dan Hino, like two really good players. And we played like eight minutes going into like double or triple overtime. So do the math on that. Who's getting how much ice? And not that I need that much ice, but, you know, like guys were dying. And Ray Bork went into the coach's office, slammed the door, and came out like two minutes later and said, everyone's going to friggin' play be ready. So stuff like that I remember where, you know, a guy wants to win so bad and we're in the me too, like, or the me now, like everything for me, like, you know, there's all this, I don't feel like players are more, I mean, there's still a little bit, but the players are more like, I got to get my points. So I got to get my goals and stuff. And, you know, I just really appreciated uh, a guy like that. who was going to, you know, he knew he was going to be in the hall of fame and he wanted to win that bad. He told the coach to play him less. So I, that's kind of the things I remember. And I mean, there's so many stories along the line, but just, you know, the speech he gave and, and then just winning, like just, I got to do a hockey night in Canada interview with Ron McLean, and which was pretty cool. So just stuff like that. And this, like, I actually, uh, I saw it online somewhere, and uh, I took some pictures. It was like the last, you know, thirty seconds or whatever it was. Like, took literally, it felt like it took a half an hour because there was a whistle, and you know, it's three one, I think it was. But it's like you're still not sure. So just stuff like that, just waiting for the like you're watching the clock, and it's just like taking forever. And there's a whistle and another whistle. So just, uh, I think you're taking a long time, but just, just things like that, like little things that guys, you know, that people don't realize that, uh, what it takes to win and how bad guys want to win that they're willing to, you know, play less or do something different. So just things like that that stick out to me. Well, I was telling Crow before we went uh, live here that it's one of those memories for me watching watching that game. I remember exactly where I was. We were at my friend Al's place. We were having a Stanley Cup party. We were all cheering for the Avalanche for multiple reasons. I mean, that roster was so stacked at the time, but a lot of Canadian legends and and the big thing, yeah, like we were we wanted to see Ray hoist that cup. I remember us all celebrating when it happened. But one of my favorite moments in hockey, there's a couple of them, and somehow they both involve Ray Bork. One was when he was uh, uh, still in Boston and he gave up his number but when Joe passed the cup to Ray to hoist first th- like that moment still for me it, like that ranks top five like when even when I watched it still I just get chills and, and the announcer when he tells Ray to lift it it's just that moment did you guys know that if you won it Joe was going to do that no Joe told me I was going to get it first no, <laughs> 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 no uh, <clears throat> yeah you uh I don't know. I don't think you're not thinking about that. You're, you're just trying to win. And I, I knew we had a lead and I watched that game again and I watched like the way we played. And like, there was one good scoring chance where, uh, Patty Wall made an unbelievable save. And it was actually, it was, uh, Patrick Elias that actually got around Ray Bork of all people. And 
Patty bailed him out, made an unbelievable save. I think it would have made it three, two at the time or something, but yeah, you don't, I, I, I they probably knew like, I think Joe being, you know, Saki being a, a veteran guy and winning before, but like as a younger guy, you knew Ray was going to like, you know, everyone wanted to see Ray get it, but we didn't, you know, we had no idea. We just, we we're just trying to win. And then, you know, like he, he's like, Ray, you waited a long time and you just knew. And yeah, I mean, we were happy for him. I mean, that's that guy waited. Like, I remember in the playoffs too, even like he was such a good guy. Every practice was optional except for the four finers. So I had to practice, but whatever, not a big deal. But Ray would come out, Ray would come out for every practice. I finally said to him, like, like, Bubba, like guys going Bubba, like, Bubba, what are you doing, man? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, why are you out here? Like, you're like 42 years old, man. Take the option. I would. And he's like, listen, first of all, I'm 41. Second of all, if I don't come out and skate, I might not be able to get out of bed tomorrow. So leave me alone. I was like, okay, man. I was just saying, like, I'd take the option. So, but he'd come out and it was only, and he could leave whenever he wanted. Like, he could stay out for five minutes. So he'd come out for like 15, 20 minutes, do a couple of shooting drills, and then just, you know, go off the ice. So, yeah, is uh, pretty cool just uh, to be able to play with guys like that. I mean, I consider myself. I mean, even Brandon, and I played with such uh, so many great players. I just, I mean, I have these stories because I got to play with these guys and I guess live my dream. And it could have been better, it could have been worse. But I tell you, there's nothing like winning. There's nothing like what it takes for guys. And you know, I'm hanging out with a, like I was like 23, 24 year old kid, and I'd go for beers with Ray Bork. Like, where do you sign up for that? And I'd, like, listen to the stories and stuff. So. Yeah, just great. Uh, I didn't know any of that was going to happen, but uh, you knew he was going to get it if he was going to be first or 1A or 1B, so deservedly so. The other big memory I was talking about was when he was still in Boston with his jersey. He's quickly mentioning that in further detail. When it was the Phil Esposito retirement ceremony and he gave up uh, seven and then pulls it off and he's wearing 77. For for me, that was a very special moment. For you, out of all the numbers uh, that you wore throughout your career, is there anyone that particularly sticks out? Uh, Of the numbers I wore? Uh, I, I think if I would have worn 22, I I would have scored a lot more goals. But I don't know if I would have won. I'm kidding. I <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went to Colorado. And I got 11. I was like, this is great. Um, but I started like as a rookie, you know, in Calgary. Uh, the year I made it, like you know, when you go to camp and like numbers are totally different now. But back then it was like you're a D man. You wore two through, you know, seven or eight or whatever. That's the way it still had, is like, with the Wee Kings, right? I mean, we've still oh, done yeah, that traditionally, yeah. But go on. Yeah. So no, but that's what I love about the tradition of the uh, you know the weekends and stuff today. <clears throat> but I remember <clears throat> going into camp. So I had the number seven. So I'm like, okay, I got a realistic chance of making the team. And Derek Morris had number fifty three. So they called us in and they were telling us to uh, you know like basically this is a couple months we're living in the hotel and it's kind of like hey you can get a place now but they can still send you down at any time. So like hey you know Mo uh, Derek Morris you know if you want you can change your number because you had a training camp number and he's like no I'm good. I was like, uh, can I change my number? And the guy looked at me. He's like, no. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's just seven felt. I have a like a large, like a wide frame, let's just say, and uh, like a single digit number just didn't. Uh, I didn't feel it fit my body good. I guess so. Uh, I mean, I love twenty two. I really love that number. And eleven, you know, you just whatever. I like the double digit numbers. So uh, yeah, those are the numbers I liked. I wore nineteen in Carolina, and that wasn't uh, didn't work out good for me. So. I wasn't very sackic esque but let's just say that. Nineteen so. is <laughs> not a good number for me. When you look at the 2004 Stanley Cup, and we touched on it a little bit playing against current weekend coach Dave Lowry, and and that team again. You you talked about Jerome McGinley and Mika Kiprusoff. When you guys, you know, kind of went into the playoffs and and you had the roster you did with Marty St. Louis and Vinny LeCavalier and. Uh, you know, obviously another kind of older veteran and Dave Andertrek is your captain. Did you guys realize in that final or did you feel like the entire country of Canada was rooting against you because it was that whole USA versus Canada and no team in Canada's won in so long? Um, yeah, I mean, I like we didn't care because like, I think three quarters of our roster was Canadian anyway. So I was, uh, was going to say, didn't you guys actually have more Canadians than Calgary? I think that year, I think there was, oh, yeah. I think that was the thing, but I, I, I get it. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I loved it. Like I, you're not doing your job if you don't get booed on the road. So I thought it was great. And you know, I played in Calgary when they weren't very good, and there was thirteen thousand people in the Saddle Dome. So everyone's talking about the Red Mile and all the passionate fans. And we go to the rink, and they're all drinking. You know, a couple hours before the game. And 
the place is rocking. I'm like, where were you guys in 97, man? Like, where, like, this place is a morgue. And, like, everyone's talking about how passionate the fans in Canada were. And I'm like, I played in front of 12,000 people. This, you could hear a pin drop. And maybe it's because I was playing. I wasn't very good. But, you know, like, old passionate Canadian fans. And then I look at, you know, Tampa. And we had 23,000 people. And we had 20,000 on the plaza. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is there's so many people that moved to Florida from from Buffalo, from New York, from Toronto, from you know, Montreal or Ontario, Quebec, whatever, Alberta. So, yeah, I loved it. I, I loved their booing me. Like I had to buy, you know, I bought eight tickets for every game and my family and friends would go, my parents, you know, when we scored in game six, uh, my family was there and my brother-in-laws were there. And, uh, they, when we scored, it was like, yeah, what do you got to say now? Cause you can hear a pin drop. And I was like, my wife was like, Shh, don't say it. Like, you know, they'd had a few or whatever. And like, this couldn't end well. Like, this might not end well. So let's just walk out of the building nicely. But, uh, yeah, I, did, I love getting food. Who cares? Perfect. <laughs> uh, we, we, you talked about, uh, about uh, Drager earlier. One of my favorite things since all this uh, COVID thing started and they started doing all their hits from home is seeing Drager's bookshelf. And I took a snapshot and tweeted on the Weeking account because he's got the Dinger bobblehead behind him. <clears throat> One of my yeah. favorite bobbleheads... <laughs> What's that like having your own Wheat King bobblehead? It's great. I, it's like you made it. I feel like I made it now. Uh, <laughs> it only took like 20-something years, but when Dilly told me, he was like, yeah, you know, and if we were talking about doing a bobblehead, if you could come back, and I did the Sportsman's Dinner, which is, you know, it's awesome. I felt honored, and I, to get a bobblehead was uh, it's great. Like, it's uh, – like they did the chins, like the leather, the absurdity of it is that they did the leather chin strap. And when, so Cooch and I had, uh, Colin Cooch, we had the leather leather chin straps because Ty Domi had them in uh, Winnipeg. But the absurdity was like we'd have these leather chin straps and the guys in the NHL wear them so you couldn't rip a guy's helmet off. But we wore visors and if you're a heavyweight, you took your helmet off to fight. So we got these, and I still have the helmet uh, to this day. I still wear it when I coach and when I play. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I did it's awesome just to, uh, I mean, have a hockey card to have a bobblehead. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So I, and I always joke around if anyone's having a bad day, just punch Benny Dinger and just, you know, like take it out every <laughs> once in a while. Like, Hey, you having a good day? Yeah. Hey, uh, you having a bad day? No. So yeah, it's very cool. I had a poster they did, uh, anything. I appreciate it. It's awesome. Like, uh, yeah, I got a bobblehead, man. I never thought I'd have one. So and then my kid broke my my one kid uh, he dropped it so he popped my head off so I had to glue my head back on. And my other <laughs> son broke my arm off so and there's I only have so many of them so I got to make them last so I had to glue like my so my one I had to glue the arm back on I had to glue my head back on and try to tell my kids these are collectors items maybe not for you but for me so uh, yeah it's awesome I I love it I like and then so even with drinks <clears throat> so I'm watching and I remember there was one night I woke up it was like three or three thirty and the baby was like. Was, was crying a little bit so I, as I turned the TV on so Drake's is on there and I'm looking above his head and I'm like bobble what is that like that kind of looks like my bobblehead so I sent him a message so I took a screenshot and I circled it and I put arrows you know and whatever and I was like is that my bobblehead he goes oh yeah it's my prize I love that and I'm like <laughs> so he's added a couple he's got I don't know if you know but he's got two other ones now so I like sent him a message and asked him like so you're adding to the bobblehead but, uh, but yeah just you you saying that? That's crazy. So that's pretty awesome. The insider uh, has my bobblehead in his mantle, and I noticed it and took a screenshot and was like, "Hey, who's that guy?" So that's awesome. <laughs> I thought, but that's a. I, I thought he had just put it there for when he did our Week King hit. I, you know, I don't have cable out here in the country, so I don't get a chance to watch much of the insider yeah. stuff. And when it was up there, I thought, "Oh, that's neat. He brought the Dinger one out for this." And then all of a sudden, I realized it's been sitting there all yeah. COVID long. So uh, you touched on your your sons and their hockey career now. They're getting up there in age into that kind of teenage kind of hockey kind of breaking point, kind of that fork in the road. As their coach and as their father, you know, what do you see from your sons moving forward? Are they WHL material? Are they junior A guys? Or are they just having fun? Um, I don't know. Uh, I should be a scout maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, they have the ability to – do great things. Let's just say that they, uh, they're good kids. They work hard. They're passionate. I've uh, injured my bodily mightily training with them. So, because we've been, uh, during the, the, whatever you want to call it, the quarantine, we, I take them to work out. We do sprints and, uh, worked out better for them than it did me. Let's just say that. So, um, I think they're talented players. They're passionate about the game and, 
you know, who knows? Uh, I just know they have way better hands than I ever did. I wasn't allowed to carry the puck over the blue on my first year. So, uh, <laughs> they're doing backhand toe drags and stuff. I was never allowed to do a toe drag. I just passed the puck to somebody and got it back and took a one timer. So, um, I don't know. I think if they could go to college and maybe play, that'd be, that'd be great. But, uh, I think they're both talented, uh, passionate kids and they're really smart and school is important to us. So they're both, uh, honor students and they're in the advanced program in school. So, you know, look at it as a coach and coaching. I want to coach kids that are passionate and intelligent because they, you know, uh, they're coachable. And I just tell my kids to, you know, like, I look at hockey as a life lesson where, uh, you know, be a good person, you know, show up uh, on time, work hard and be a good listener. So I just try and impress that on my kids. And, you know, I just tell them, like, if you do that, coaches will do anything for you. Like coaches love the guys like that. And, you know, you look at people in your past that have coached you or teachers and, you know, it's they you you love that uh, that coach or teacher that gives you a chance and believes in you. So, and they're more likely to believe in you too when you are good. You know, when you're coachable. So, I mean, who knows uh, what they could do? I think uh, they're talented players, and you know, it's up to them. Uh, they just have to work hard, and who knows? But uh, I still can't cross over to the right. And Kelly McCrimmon last time I saw him was like, "You still can't turn right, right, or change for you. That's why you hit everybody." And I'm like, I know that. I tell people that. I, I tell my kids, and I can hide it. I can do one or two crossovers. And that's it. Like going to the left. And you know why? Because when you go up for warm up, you always go counterclockwise. So I can cross <laughs> over to the left really good. And I, I still say that to this day. So when you do warm ups, they should alternate, you know, like NASCAR, not just go the one way, you should go the other way. So yeah, who knows what they can. I rambled on there a little bit, but who knows what they can do. I just, uh, I hope they can go as far as they can. And uh, they want to play in the dub. That'd be great. Uh, but they just got to get ready for some uh, long bus rides, depending on where you're located. Let's just say that because well, we Chris- experienced that. Do you want to do a little rapid fire? Because we know that Dinger's got to get his boys to the rink yes. at some point here tonight. So we'll, yes. we like to just rattle off a couple of quick questions and and, and see uh, what you remember from your playing days or what's been going on. Uh, my go-to right now is uh, what's been your uh, kind of quarantine TV binge? Have you been Netflixing anything with the boys or, or maybe with the wife? Oh, yeah. We've... We did Ozark again. Um, we did Stranger Things. Uh, I just started Ozark. I just started it, and I just got through the first season, and it is awesome. He did it. Yeah. You just don't know <laughs> what he did. Alert. Okay, great. <laughs> great. You don't know what he did. No, yeah. not yet. <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great show, though. That's awesome. Sorry, go on. Marty. Yeah, you're a fan of Marty. So Yes. Yeah, uh, Ozark's one of them. Uh, Tiger King? Rescue me. Uh, yeah, we did watch Tiger King. Yeah, that's Florida in a nutshell, man. It wasn't even filmed in Florida, really. But that's <laughs> oh my god, yeah, living in Florida, man. It's uh, you had all different walks of life. I, it was very enjoyable. But yeah, I got to bring the mullet back. That was sick. That was like a weird kind of mullet, huh? <laughs> you got to start wearing some animal print too around your house. Yeah, I only wear that uh, after I win. So I'm gonna win something. <laughs> uh, what was your What was your favorite ring to play in when you were in the dub? Oh, Brandon. On the road. Brandon was great. Oh, on the road. Mm. I did like uh, the old crush can in uh, Musha. The that's roof what Brandon like, said, too. Yeah, that's what Wade oh my said. God. Yeah, I was suspended one game, so I sat like 15 rows up, and I couldn't see across. And I was like, okay, now they're why they call it the crush can. So I like that. And then uh, I like going out west was cool. Uh, we played in Seattle, and they, the smaller, you know, they played in the big rink where the Supersonics used to play, and then, so we got in a huge brawl in the smaller rink, and it was great because the fans were just on top of you. So I like that part. And then Portland, too, when you'd come out, uh, I remember their song you came out to was uh, Symphony of Destruction. So you'd come out, and there's like 15,000 people, and the place is rocking. And they had the boards there where if you hit somebody, the boards would literally like sound like you just killed somebody. So those are a few barns. Uh, least favorite is probably Regina because the stands were like 10 feet away, weren't they? Or they're in a new building now, I believe. But uh yeah, that was probably my least favorite, but those were uh, those other ones. What was your favorite post-game uh, watering hole slash food joint in Brandon? When you'd leave the rink, was there a place you'd go for a slice of pizza or, a, or a, maybe an adult beverage? Um, I can't say that, can I? No. Um, <laughs> I think there's a statute we of limitations. No, on that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There was a, so we were going to the hotel, uh, the hotel in the main strip there. It's called... Uh, Man, what's it called? I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, not the brand new one, but the older one that was by the Houston's there. Remember Houston's oh, the, and the 
It'd be the Royal Royal Oak or whatever. I don't. Yeah, know. yeah. There was a lounge in there. Yeah, the Royal Oak. We used to go in there, and then uh, after about two months, we got carded. They didn't realize that we were only seventeen, so we weren't allowed to go there. And, <laughs> and then uh, there was Griff's. There was a place called Griff's Sports Lounge. I don't know if that's still there, but it was. Uh, no. It was in the golf course there. They had the curling rink below, so we used to go there. And uh, so there's a couple. We weren't allowed to go to the bars, so uh, just a couple lounges here and there. But those were those were a couple I remember. Griff's was late last year. I think third. Third or fourth year grips was the kind of the spot. So like five dollar pitchers or seven dollar pitchers, man, it was great. Some hockey players, especially in playoffs, are incredibly superstitious. Who's the most superstitious player that you've played with? And you remember what their routine was that stuck out in your mind? Oh, I remember Bobby House would uh, sleep with his stick uh, on the bus. So maybe put it in the garbage can. I'm like. When he wasn't scoring, I'm like, okay, so you're putting this in the garbage can and you're sleeping with it in your bunk. I don't know if that's very sanitary. So um, I don't really remember these guys who were too uh, superstitious. Like Marty St. Louis had the same shirt. He had the same undershirt since his Vermont days. So he had like an old, you know, the old blue under power yeah. undershirts. Um, so his was like, it was falling apart when we won. It was like torn everywhere and he kept wearing it. So, he wear like every game, he, like even the regular season or was it a playoff thing? practice. Oh, oh yeah. every game, every practice, Everything. the thing was hanging on for dear life. Uh, so, yeah, that was maybe one thing. And then, um, it's, I don't know if it's a superstition thing, but a really good story. So, when we won in old, in old one, uh, a guy by the name of Sean Boudin we played with, who's, uh, he's a character, let's just say that, uh, likes to wear his Birkenstocks, you know, his jean shorts and stuff, and uh, he's a bit of a throwback. So, he'd heard somebody wore their equipment for 24 hours after they won, or 23 hours. So he was going to wear his equipment for 24 hours. So he didn't change for 24 hours. So he literally <laughs> went to the bar with full gear, skates and everything, like no skate guards. And guys were like, Jesus Christ, man, what are you doing? And it was great. And it was like, oh, my God. Because you're like, what are you doing? He's like, I heard someone wore their equipment for 23 hours. And so he wore his for 24. And his wife's the nicest lady, Sherry. And so like, Jesus, Sherry, like, what did you do when he went home? Did he take his stuff off? She's like, no. I'm like, you let him, like, we're like, you let him in the bed. She's like, no, I had to draw the line there. I'm like, you're not getting into bed with that stuff. So 24 hours, he wore his gear. So it wasn't really a superstition thing, but he'd heard, <laughs> so uh, oh my God, like, how are your skates, man? He's like, I don't know. I'm not going to wear them for like three months, but like no skate guards, you know, the old CCM. He's like, it was okay, but he's like, God, the next day my feet were throbbing so bad. You know, you have a few and anyways, so yeah, I don't know if it's a superstition thing, but uh, yeah. Where, uh, where do you keep your Stanley Cup rings? Are they on display? Uh, nope. They are they're in a place you wouldn't really think they would be. Let's just say that. I can't tell you. Somebody could break in and steal my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and his address is. <laughs> yeah. No, I keep them in a very inconspicuous place. I don't have them in the boxes. Uh, I keep them in uh, these little Tiffany things. Uh, you know, those little Tiffany pouches or whatever. They're like little uh, kind of velvety pouches. I keep them in there. So if I travel around, I don't really wear them, to be honest with you, because uh, most of my fingers are crooked and broken, as you <laughs> can see. And the one time I was wearing impact and safety gloves, look what I did to my fingers. So yeah, I was going to bring that up earlier and kind of noticed that. I was going to ask. That looks like an I early injury. It's finally coming off. Yeah, it's not bad. It just looks worse than it is. I mean, you can't make it look at it. My hand modeling crew is way out the window anyway. So Great. So, so, so again, those that are just listening to the podcast or right now on the YouTube page, uh, because we had some, uh, some video issues, the audio is kind of cracky. So I just dumped the video for now, but we're still recording this. So we're going to post the full video up later on YouTube. But again, most people are listening, so they can't see. But yeah, so one of Dinger's fingers is very mangled on the camera right now. Well, sorry, yeah. Completely lost. Completely lost his nail. Half nail. Half nail. Yeah, it's a half it looks, nail. It looks worse. My, I, I can show you my big toe nail, too, if you want, but that might make people a little queasy because I blocked a shot in 04. Uh, my big toe, like the nail on your big toe, and if you lose it, you can't it only, like, you can't keep it. So every year or so, my nail comes off. So I call it my wooden toe, and I show kids. So for six, gonna... So for 16 years, every year after, when the nail grows, it just falls off? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Well, my skates are, like, kind of still wear my skates tight, so I think it's, like, pushing on it. But, yeah, I was like, I, I blocked the shot pretty bad, and it just, yeah, it go, go, falls off. Who, sh- who, who shot that shot? Do you remember? Oh, no idea. 
So, because no somebody's caused you foot pain for 16 years. I think I'd remember that guy's name. Doesn't even hurt. No, it doesn't even hurt. It just looks terrible. So, <laughs> I just pull it out every once in a, gro- every once in a while to gross people out. I'll, 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 I won't show you the toe because it's pretty bad. I'll show you the, uh, I'll show you the scar. If you, I don't know if you can see that scar there. Oh, yeah. 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 We can see that. Yeah. That, that happened. That happened like game two. Hit Andrew Ference, I think it was. And, uh, his skate came down on top of my foot and it sliced open my lace, my laces. So I was skating, hobbling to the bench because my laces were all cut. Went to the trainer, I was like, Razor, man, hey man, I need, uh, I need your laces. I go, okay. So I took my skate off. The top of my foot was like, opened up like a taco. He's like, oh my God, I think you need stitches. So <laughs> uh, I'll show you that one, but I won't show you the wooden toe. Unless I was going to ask, what was your, what was your worst injury uh, in your hockey career? Would that be uh, up there? No, it wasn't even bad. It just, with like with anything on the top of your foot, it just hurts because you can't tie your skate, so you got to wait till it goes numb and goes numb. But uh, I don't know, like there's not a. I mean, concussions obviously are scary, but uh, I didn't really have like I dislocated my shoulder. I had like three tore my MCL three times, and probably the worst is like I have a back issue now where I have a disc sitting on the nerve, my L four, L five. So I got to get to procedure where they burn the nerve. So that's probably the worst one because back pain is the worst. Like nerve pain, I. I could take any pain, but nerve pain is the worst by far. So I didn't really have, you know, I dislocated a finger one time during a game. I came out of the bench, my finger was pointing up, and I showed the trainer, I'm like, hey, Rambo, I think my uh, finger's uh, messed up. And he looked at me, he's like, oh, my God, uh, let me get the doctor. I'm like, just pull my finger, man. He's like, oh, let me get the doctor. I'm like, just pull my finger. I'm not going to, you know, the, the joke. I'm not going to fire, man. So he goes and gets the doctor. doctor comes out. He's like, yeah, I think your finger's dislocated. He goes, I guess he goes, pulls it out, pops it in, so... Yeah, just a couple little things. Nothing too, uh, nothing too nasty. Well, the broken nose from Reggie slap shot. So, but that's his fault because you shouldn't be shooting at a, you know, 97, 98 miles an hour in uh, junior. So, <laughs> my last rapid fire question was just: There's got to be one goal in junior that sticks out above the rest that 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 you scored. What what was it? <clears throat> one goal. Uh, is there one goal that comes back as as a weekend that you just remember the play? Do you remember what happened? Um. Well, I think my 40th, because uh, McCabe was going, McCabe was going for 20, and he was at 19, so and I was at 39, and so he wasn't passing. We got a power play. Lozy was good. He was putting us out there. Caber <laughs> wasn't passing. I'm like, you're a dick, man. Pass the puck. He's like, no way, man. So he scored like in the, I think in the second period, like early in the second. And I remember guys talking after, like Lozy, like I don't think Dinger's gonna score. Like I don't think he's gonna get it. It went into the third period, and we we're playing. Uh, I think it was Rocky Thompson. We we're playing Madison Hat. I could be wrong, but um, so I'm in the corner, and Darren Rich is like, "Hey, Dinger, Dinger!" And I'm like, "No, no." I go here, watch this. And he told me the story out. I didn't want to. I was like, "Here, watch this." So I rolled out of the corner, took it to the net, and scored. And he's like, "You're an angel, man. Why did you, you know? We look at this, watch this." And I just so I guess my 40th, but it took till the third period. Uh, probably halfway through the game at least. So I guess the pressure, like you want to score and whatever. So that was a memorable one. I think my first one too, because I, my first year I had, and I must've had like 12 breakaways and I couldn't score. And it was just infuriating. <laughs> then you finally score. So, but yeah, I think the 40th was a big one. So I still have the puck and stuff like that. So I think it's, you know, I was lucky to play with two good guys, man. I had a few go off my shin, a bunch off the back of my calf. So, the amount of times Darren Ritchie hit me in the back of my calf with a slap shot, uh, I deserve to score for it. So <laughs> look at it that way. <laughs> well, Dinger, this was uh, this was awesome. I know you got to get uh, got to get to your boys uh, to, to some hockey. I guess we'll give you a chance. Uh, what are you doing now? Uh, just talk a little bit about uh, the the gloves that uh, that you're peddling and 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 what the, that's done for you. <clears throat> yeah, just selling uh, impact safety gloves. So we sell all different kinds. We do masks and stuff. So stealth gloves is the is the company. So we have cut resistant gloves, leather gloves, uh, impact gloves, gauntlets, uh, mitts. So we have all different kinds of gloves. You can go on the website, uh, snowgloves.ca. Um, yeah. So we're just, uh, selling gloves and the one or two times I don't wear them. I was going to say, and this it's is a perfect PSA gloves. to say that you were not wearing your stout gloves and you probably should have been at that time. <laughs> oh my God. So the people could see it after. So yeah, I was actually, that was closing a, so my buddy's got this old, uh, we're social distancing on the driveway and he, uh, had a few too many and he left his, uh, left his lawn chair. So I, I was closing his lawn chair and I did that. And then I was cooking steaks and then I wasn't wearing gloves. I didn't put an oven mitt on. I got a blister. I got a grease blister. So <laughs> two times I didn't wear gloves. So I'm getting soft in my old age. I used to, I could tell people the absurdity 
I used to draw my gloves to punch people in the face, and then now I like sell gloves, and my fingers are all crooked, and I can't, you know. So, but whatever. So I sell gloves now. So I sell gloves because uh, diapers are expensive. <laughs> so, is so I was gonna say so is hockey that's right all right digger really appreciate you taking time on your Monday night here to talk to us uh all the best and uh we hope to catch you down the road here sometime shortly yeah no problem I gotta say one last thing yeah how come it took how come it took till number 28 to have me on I'm like my feelings are hurt you had red on 29 oh sorry it's even worse <laughs> oh, 29. 29 yeah oh, my God. oh that's a rough oh. go sorry bud um you know eat some hall of famers on there <laughs> there actually is a couple uh one of the reasons why we'll be honest one of the reasons why we did push back is just because as you mentioned we had you here a couple of years ago at the sportsman's dinner um you know so a lot of like of, of the fans that of course you know listen to this are, are those same fans so we thought we'd space it a little bit but especially after talking the last last little bit we're like okay it's it's time and plus i guess we're waiting for your injury for you to help show off to show how tough you still are wait i gotta add to it i started a poll i found a picture of dave lowry's playoff beard and i started a poll on twitter i tagged in it Uh, as of right now did you really already (laughs) dave lowry's leading the poll 70 percent to 30 percent over who had the better playoff beard you or dave lowry so you got some catching up to do He deserves, yeah, he deserves it. He deserves it. He, uh, he said. deserves to win that one. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, thanks a lot, Digger. Really appreciate it. Take care and uh, good luck and the kids there to, to hockey. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. All right, there we go. That is Chris Dingman joining us here tonight on the Weekly Harvest. Again, this is episode 29, available at QCountryFM.ca. A Q Country, today's best country. Catch them live at 91.5 FM. Live streaming Alexa, Google Play. If you've got the Radio Player Canada app, you can get that and like a thousand plus other stations all across the country. So keep informed. We're not the only podcast on that site as well. Of course, the Westman News Update is on there. People can get their local uh, update each and every weekday at one o'clock. So encourage you to go and check that out. Uh, Crow any more news and notes before we quickly wrap up here episode 29 uh nothing i i now that i'm back from ontario i gotta sit here for two weeks so i got plenty of time i'll come up with some new news and notes next week you've you've had quite a time so appreciate <laughs> everybody uh tuning on in and uh, we will be in touch uh regarding next week episode number 30 really appreciate you tuning on in tonight and we'll talk to you again cheers be sure to follow Q Country and the Wee Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wee Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.